Good morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to you fathers. My brother and I uh, took my dad out to dinner last night, and dinner and a movie, which was fun. I haven't been to the theater for like two years, probably three years actually for me. Uh, and we saw a scary movie, uh, which was great. So you had three grown dads screaming like little boys <laughs> in, the, in the dark theater. It was, it was awesome. It was fun. Um, but great to, to be together today on Father's Day. And um, just want to remind you what we've been up to all year long. We've been talking about life in the kingdom. This, this kingdom life that Jesus invites us into, and we talked about what that life looks like, and then this summer, we're asking the question, what do we need to ground ourselves in so that we can live that life? So the image I gave you last week is this image of a tree. We first looked at the kingdom fruit, a life of love and joy and peace and all the things that Jesus calls us into in the Sermon on the Mount, and now we're asking the question, what do we need to be rooted in? What do we need to root and ground our lives in so that we can produce the kind of fruit that Jesus calls us into. So we started, we had three weeks on rooting ourselves in the Word of God, in Scripture, and now this is the final week on this conversation about rooting ourselves in the church community. We want to be rooted and grounded in a community that helps us um, so that together we can live out this life that Jesus invites us into. And I'm particularly talking about not just um, the church universal, but actually a local church body, and we believe in both, that there is one church. Um, I believe that firmly, and I also believe there are many churches, and that's the way that Jesus wanted it to be. And there's something about being rooted in a local community that is really important for us. Last week, we talked about this, this local expression at Grace. Uh, it's a group of beautiful and broken people. And so we want to root ourselves in this beautiful and broken place because that is, that is the context that Jesus has given us for learning to live out the life of faith together. So... Um, Today, I want to just call you into this com community one more time. It's an important time to do that. I think we want to reroute ourselves, especially after the, the year of uprooting that we've just had. So this is the right time to say, okay, it's time to, to reroute in some fresh ways. And um, so we've got this great passage today. Uh, the great regret is I'm basically skipping over verses 19 to 23, which really communicates the, the, the heart of the gospel, but we're going to be focusing in on the, the communal aspect in verse 24 and 25. So let me just set the context of those two verses before we read them again. So in verse 19 to 23, 
we get to hear about our salvation, what Jesus has done for us. And the author draws on a lot of old covenant imagery of the holy place and the temple, temple and the sacrifice and the, you know, and the high priest back then and, and shows how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that and how we have forgiveness through his death on the cross. We will be celebrating really these verses together as we take communion at the end of the morning. So it, it, it looks back on our past salvation and then if you look at the end of the passage, um, right at the end of verse 25, it looks ahead towards our coming salvation with this phrase at the end of verse 25, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what day is that? The day of Christ, right? The return of Christ. So we are living between our salvation and this coming, you know, consummation, and we now live in the times between the times, right? Between Christ's first and second coming. And so the call of this passage is in the midst of that, let's be committed to one another. Let's walk this journey from past salvation to future salvation, and let's do it together. And so in our and, and what I'm going to focus in on, verse 24 and 25, you get a negative command, which is in verse 25, let's not give up meeting together. And then you get two positive commands in 24 and 25. First in verse 24, let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then in verse 25, let's encourage one another. Okay, so I want to just walk through those three commands for a moment and then kind of set that in the context of the cultural moment that we're living in, all right? So let me just talk through these. Let's start with the negative command. Verse 25, he says, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And the, the word there for meeting together is the word where we get our word synagogue. So it probably has sort of a formal, like the gathered assembly. I would imagine these Christians would think about Sunday mornings when they would gather on the Lord's Day to worship. But I would imagine it could also incorporate informal ways of getting together. And apparently some people had abandoned that habit. They were, weren't doing it as much in the first century. We don't know the full context. What we do know, of, and if you read all of Hebrews, is that this is written to a group of Christians who were very tired, okay? Anybody connect with that? Right? So they were experiencing persecution in the first century. Some of them, had, even property had been taken away from them. And the whole book is written to encourage them, don't give up. I know you're tired. I know you're weary, um, but don't give up. But some of them were tempted like, man, not being a Christian would be easier right now than being a Christian. And, and part of that was some of them had begun to just not gather as regularly together. And I just think, man, what a relevant call to us after the year we've been through. Let's not give up meeting together as some in the habit of doing. And of course, we had this pandemic that, that forced a different way of doing things, right? We had a lockdown for a little while, and then we started gathering in various ways. Some were on Zoom, some were in person, uh, some were not at all. And you've had everything we've gone through. Um, and now here we are, and things are starting to kind of, you know, loosen up, and people are starting to come back in ways that work for their sensibilities and convictions, and that is all great. But one of the dynamics I think that we've all probably experienced through COVID is something that kind of has nothing to do with the restrictions, and it's this feeling of after a year of not doing things the way we're used to doing them, which is, you know, it's, it's kind of been nice to sip coffee on my couch at home, Right? And, and, you know, little kids, after five days of getting them up early, it's really nice to have a second weekend day where I don't have to try to scramble the kids and get them up together. And, and it's just kind of been nice. And so we're, many of us are out of the habit of getting up and gathering together. And I think 
this is a great call for us. We, we, we need to be reminded, okay, this is the time to say, let's dive back in. Let's not give up. And I think that, that dynamic is just part of a bigger dynamic that's happening in the church in America that has nothing to do with COVID, which is just this growing consumerism that says, I'll, I'll go to church. And I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings, whatever it is, our midweek stuff, even gathering together in informal ways. I'll go to church uh, when it, I wake up and it feels like it would be a good thing to go to church, right? And if um, I'll go to church when going to church feels like that would be a better thing than not going to church on a particular day. Uh, and when it doesn't feel like that, then we probably won't go to church. And so I think, um, I think we need to hear this. The church in America needs to hear this. Let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, especially in this moment as we're beginning to regather in, in kind of our normal ways. So that's the negative command. Let's not give up meeting together. And then you have these two positive commands, and I love these. I want to start with the second one. Let me just finish verse 25. Let's not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. And here's the positive command. But let's encourage one another. And the word encourage, look at my good friend Joel and I love the English language. We love talking about words. But the word encourage is one of my favorite English words. Because what does it mean? It means to encourage, <laughs> duh, right? It means to infuse with courage. It means to come alongside someone who is tired or discouraged, right? Or anxious or angry or frustrated. And to come alongside them and, and lift them up and, and reassure them and, and embolden them and inspire them to walk faithfully. Come on, we can do this. Let's go. I want to encourage you. And as someone who, who leans towards anxiety and fear myself, I would say my heart regularly needs to be encouraged. I need courage given to me from the outside because sometimes it's not coming from the inside. And I think, what, what better word for 2021 that we could have than let us encourage one another? Because there's a lot of people who have been discouraged. There's been a lot of realities in the world that are discouraging, and there's just a lot of ideas that people are sitting in internally in their minds that are leaving them anxious, afraid, resentful, bitter, you name it. And what we need is, we all need a you know what? We all need a bit of good news is what we need. We need someone to come alongside us these days and say, here's a bit of good news. Here's what God's been doing in my life lately, right? Here's how I know that God is alive and well still in 2021. Um, here's what I'm reading in his word that's really just been hitting me lately. Here's the, a promise of God, a quality of God that's been just really impacting me in a fresh way. We need to come alongside one another and give each other lots of good news. And that's what we got to do two weeks ago, which I was so sad to not be here, but we had that open mic sharing, and I heard that was such an encouraging time. So we want our times to be times where we are talking to one another, not in ways that are cynical uh, or bitter, right, or just superficial, but in ways that are deeply encouraging each other. So we walk away from this time feeling, all right, I'm ready to face the, the week. I'm ready to, to, to move in a kingdom way through this week in a way maybe I wasn't before we gather together, encourage each other. So that's the positive command. And then the other positive command, look at back at verse 24, and I like how this one kind of pairs with encourage. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, okay? So what we're trying to encourage one another towards is we want to be loving in this. We want to be people who are loving in this world. We want to be people who do the good deeds that Jesus that God the Father has prepared for us to do. 
But I love this word. Here, my translation says, let's consider how we might spur one another on, okay? So we have encourage, and then we have spur. And uh, spur is actually a perfect English translation of the Greek word that's behind this word. And we know what a spur is, right? So you need to picture a horse or a mule or a donkey, and on top there's a cowboy or cow gal on there. Cow gal, I just made that up. Cowboy, I guess, no, cowboy and cowgirl, that's the parallel. Can I just, this is off topic, off the notes. You know what's a bummer? There's no female equivalent to guys. Hey, guys. Really? Like, when I come up, there's like three of you talking after service. There's nothing. There's no, I want, if one of you could create a female equivalent to guys. Because ladies feels, and women feels too formal, and girls feels not good at all. <laughs> gals feels the best, but gals is kind of country, and I'm not country, you know. So, so if anyone could create the female equivalent to guys, that would be super helpful for me as a pastor. Um, so a cow, a cow boy or a cow gal, according to you guys, sounds great, right? Cow gal, yes. Y'all, I am not country. I want to be country. I'm not Texas. I, I, you know, if, if I was Texas, that would work. I like y'all. I like y'all. Sisters, yeah, well, that's, that even raises other issues. So. Um, I'm so glad I had that tangent. This is so helpful. Um, that's my assignment to you all. Um, all right. <laughs> spurring, thank you, spurring. So, um, Right? There's, a, there's an, what a spur is, you, right? you've got a spur and it's sharp and you kind of give a little kick to the animal and, and it gets going. And um, uh, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a grittiness to spur, right? There's a prickliness even to, to spur. And, and what spur assumes is that um, sometimes we fall asleep. Sometimes we're kind of like that, that horse that's gotten tired or lazy. Sometimes we fall asleep to our walk with Jesus, right? We fall asleep in, in anxiety. We fall asleep in um, getting caught up in what the world has to offer us. Uh, we fall asleep in anger. All sorts of ways that we, we stop focusing on this path. And what we need is fellow believers to come and do a little bit of this to us, right? Encourage and spur. It's that sort of, hey, no, no, that's, that's not the way. This is the way. Remember? This is the way. Come on, get up. You can do this, you need to hear this, but I'm with you, I'm, we're going to do this together, okay? Encourage and spur. Um, that's what we need. All that to say, we are called into this very real commitment to one another, which I think would sum up what the author of Hebrews is saying in this passage. So I want to um, put up, uh, there's a, a book called Creative Minority, which is a great little book um, about what the church can be in the world. And... Um, it talks about the difference between loose networks and covenant relationships. And I think this passage gets at, it's articulating a, a kind of covenant relationship that we're called to in the church. But to, just to tease this out, you know, in a loose, in, with loose networks, you know a lot of people, kind of, right? You, you know a lot of people, kind of. And um, you're connected to various groups and you, you kind of leverage those groups for, for the, you know, the things that you're going for in life. And there's a real benefit to, to loose networks, and the benefit is flexibility and freedom, 
You have the freedom and flexibility to move in and out of communities and, and relationships as you need. The cost to loose networks is not being known deeply over the long haul. And it's not being held accountable to a certain kind of life that you're wanting over the long haul. In covenant relationships, you may know maybe not quite as many people, um, but you know them well and deeply, and you are, are truly known. Um, you're committed to one another, and you're committed to a common goal. In this case, the goal is, of course, pursuing Christ together. And so what that means is you gather, and you, you're, you're in relationship. You do that when it's convenient. You do that when it's not convenient, and you will call each other out on things. You'll forgive each other, uh, but you continue to stay connected to one another. Uh, there's a great cost to covenant relationships, and the cost is flexibility. You, you lose a level of freedom and flexibility. You're stuck, you know, in a sense. Um, the benefit is you are truly known. You are known deeply, uh, and there's a, there's a stability and a permanency that can carry you through your entire life. So loose networks versus covenant relationships, and it were, it's obvious, but it's worth saying that we live in a, at least in a Western culture right now, that is increasingly characterized by loose networks, right? Whether those are friendships, um, whether those are marriages even, right? Um, whether those are um, businesses and, and work contexts, whether those are churches. We live in a, in, a, in a world of loose networks, but the church has always and will always be, um, it's to be called to these covenant relationships. And that's a, that's a countercultural thing, to be in covenant with one another in the world that we live in today. And so it's worth asking yourself today, is, is my life defined by loose networks or, or, or is it defined by covenant relationships? And what I want to do is I, I want to just spend the rest of the time, I want to talk about just two cultural forces at work that really move life towards these loo loose networks. And this, I've talked about this a bunch lately, but now I want to talk about it in the context of how it impacts specifically community and local church community. So um, first one is this. One, one, of the, one of the forces is going to be kind of philosophical in nature, and the other is going to be very practical in nature, okay? So the philosophical thing that's in the air, that's been in the air for 40 years, is what we call um, expressive individualism, okay? This is, uh, and actually things are changing now, so that th there's a lot of new forces at play, but for the most part of the last couple, de you know, three or four decades, the world in the West has been marked by expressive individualism, which is this posture that says the goal of life is to look deep inside our hearts, right, to dis discover, discern that inner essence, and then to express that inner essence to the world. So my life is primarily defined by what I find in self, what I find inside, that, that, that those inner drives, those, those inner desires, and really the goal then of, of life is to live out my authentic self in this world. That's the goal. And the things that can get in the way of that are institutions, authorities, traditions, things like that. But what the goal is to, to let this come out so the potentialities of, of the authentic self can emerge. And this has infiltrated the church in a very individualized sort of version of church where it's me and Jesus kind of religion, right? We talk regularly about my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is not a bad phrase. But that can often become my private relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we think the local church is fundamentally there as a resource to kind of resource my own relationship with God and make that as good as it can be. Uh, the problem with expressive individualism is it doesn't sit well with passages like this in Scripture, right? So um, let's not give up the habit of meeting together. Um, 
oh, well, that doesn't work very well. Because, I mean, expressive individualism is fundamentally suspicious of institutions and even, um, even like repetition and in, in, in tradition. So the idea being, if I, I already mentioned this, but if I wake up on Sunday morning, the question is, do I want to go to church or not, <laughs> right? And if, if I don't, then it would almost be false to the authentic self to come to church. I don't want to, to conform to some predetermined, you know, schedule that I'm supposed to keep. I need to let kind of life emerge as, as what I'm feeling kind of dictates. Or this idea of spurring one another on, that, that sort of prickly uh, accountability doesn't work well with expressive individualism. I need freedom to let this be what it is. I'll give you freedom to let that be what it is. And let's, you know, I be me, you be you. Don't yuck my yum sort of stuff, right? Okay. I was saying, that's changing. There's a lot of new forces at play that are going to say, no, that doesn't work anymore. But for the most part, that's been what, what we've known. The benefits of that, again, are, are freedom. There's a, almost a limitless possibility of the kind of person I can be. But what I want to say today, some of you don't relate to expressive individualism at all. Some of you do. But it's worth saying together, the costs of ex expressive individualism are massive to human beings. And, and we're seeing the costs playing out in our culture. And, and here's the great irony is expressive individualism promises all this freedom, but it is a massive burden on the human soul. It is a deep burden to say, you need to define yourself entirely by yourself. You need to define yourself in terms of what makes you utterly unique from everybody else. You need to find the truth from within. You need to choose from the limitless possibilities of what you could be and, and chart a self in this world. That is a massive burden, and particularly our young people are feeling it in greater and greater ways. Anxiety, depression, um, existential angst, <laughs> career crisis, all of that is so on the rise because we're putting a burden on the self that the self should not bear. It is an unbearable burden because there's nothing bigger than yourself to ground yourself in. So you're rootless. You're, you're kind of just floating in the air in yourself. And that is what is so great about a local church community. There's something deeply grounding about being a part of a people that are bigger than yourself. Let me read you this. Um, I love this quote. A church community frees you from the weight of self-obsession. I like that phrase, the weight. That's what people are feeling today, the weight of self-obsession. It frees you to be part of something bigger than yourself, with people who are not like you, it frees you from the bias-confirming bubbles of only being exposed to like-minded people who always affirm but never challenge you, right? We're here to free ourselves from self-obsession. We're here to ground ourselves in something bigger. Think about it. Every Sunday we gather, we are grounding ourselves in a story that is so much bigger than our individual lives. Verse 19 through 23, which we really don't have, you know, we get to talk about that is, that is grounding us in a story that goes back at least 4,000 years to the people of Israel and God's dealing with them. And then verse 25 takes us to the story of Christ's return. So to step into this room on Sundays, we're grounding ourselves. There's a story that began in the beginning and goes all the way to the end, and I'm re-grounded. Whatever was going on in my life this week, I come here to ground myself in a story that's not about me. Ah, oh, that's so freeing, Right? And we also come to ground ourselves in an identity, not just a story, but an identity that's so much bigger 
than ourselves. All week long, I'm being told you define yourself by what you can produce, by what you can achieve, by what you can consume, you know, you name it. And I get to come here and be grounded again in an identity that is not my own. I am, who I am is, I am, I'm found in Christ. We'll celebrate that at the tables. My identity is is as a, a child of God. And that's an identity we all share together. We come in here and we remind ourselves we are Children of God, first and foremost, brothers and sisters in Christ. We sang that song, you're a good father. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am. No matter what people are telling me I need to be all week long, who I am, first and foremost, is I am a child of the king loved by my heavenly father. And we ground ourselves together in our shared story and our shared identity. Amen? Okay, so that's the first kind of uh, cultural uh, force at work that's philosophical. Um, I want to talk now briefly about uh, a force that I've talked a ton about lately. I'm picking on it all the time. This is a very practical force, and it is um, the explosion of digital technology over the last 10 to 15 years. Okay, I'm thinking primarily of this little guy that I have in my pocket uh, beginning in 2007, though this isn't an iPhone. I'm very countercultural. I don't have an iPhone, and you all pick on me. I'm still a droid, so... Take it, take it. Um, uh, I won't conform. Right. Just kidding. Um, but we've talked a lot about this, and I, I want to talk about this in the context of community, okay? There's, there's such great benefits to this, right? There's, you, there's connectivity. You can be connected in ways, we can be connected in ways we never could before. Um, there's, obviously, you can be informed. <laughs> there's a knowledge that we have that we never had before. We've talked about how this can give us almost godlike status, right? We can be almost omniscient with this. We can be omnipresent, all places at all times. Omnipotent, we can present an image of ourselves that we want. So there's some benefits here. Um, but the costs are massive to this. And like I said before, all the studies are in. There's, there's no debate. The studies are in. <laughs> Depression is on the rise. Loneliness, ironically, is on the rise. We have a pandemic of loneliness in Western civilization, okay? We are more connected and more lonely than we've ever been because we have, in the midst of all this, we have less genuine human connection. I wanna show you a series of photos that a photographer put put together. This is a series called Removed. And what he did is we took pictures of people just hanging out together, but they're on their cell phones or they're on their tablets. And then he digitally removed the cell phone device or tablet device, okay? I want you just to see this. It's pretty powerful. So here's husband and wife in bed at the end of the day, right? Connecting at the end of the day. Uh, Here's the boys on the couch in the morning, hanging out together, right? Oh, gosh, what happened? Oh, this one's painful, right? Just married. He really sticks it to you on that one. We've all done this, so, you know. Uh, Let's see. There's grandma and grandpa hanging out. Just a morning together. Uh, let's see. I think there was one more. Oh, yeah. Good, good mother-daughter time, right? <laughs> um, and we all do this, right? But it's, it's actually profound to, to see it. And we, we, when we go out to dinner with our girls, I mean, this is it's such a common scene, right? You'll see five people around a table, and none of them are interacting with each other. And we, will, we talk about it with our girls. Look, at what's, look what's happening over there. there there's not genuine connection happening right there. There's a connectivity, but there's not real relationship taking place. So there's massive costs. Of course, this is also, um, this has not increased 
empathy for one another in the last two years. I don't know if you noticed that, right? But, but we now have, each one of us has an online experience, an internet experience that is, has been curated for us, right? So, so mine is utterly unique to yours and to yours and to yours. So we're not dealing with even the same realities. And what's happening is, I think in the midst of that, as we engage this, we are losing empathy for one another. Uh, and the other thing, I, I was reading a book this week, I really appreciate it, talked about how, how this is such a disembodied experience. We're losing connection even with our embodiedness, okay? And God created us as bodies, right? Bodies and spirits together. Uh, but this is moving us towards a disembodied experience. When I go online, I can be everywhere and I'm nowhere, right? I'm jumping from site to site, but I'm literally nowhere as I'm doing it. It's an utterly disembodied experience. experience. This book was talking about how, you know, we're one of the first generations, obviously, to have this, but for millennia, human beings experience themselves as so deeply embodied, meaning you, you grew up in a, a place. You grew up in a family. You grew up on a land. You grew up in a town, and you felt very rooted and connected to the place in which you lived, right? And you would know things that were happening with your neighbors. You would know things that were happening in the town, um, maybe the state. There are a couple of national things that you might be aware of, but that's how it went. It went from embodiment, from local, and then you kind of knew a couple things that you didn't really need to know that much because it didn't have much to do with your life. And what's so interesting is that has been completely reversed in our generation so that now we know about things that are happening everywhere. And we know all this national news. We know things that are happening internationally all the time. And most of us have no idea what is happening in our own city, right? Like, you know what's happening in America way better than you know what's happening in Costa Mesa or Irvine or Newport or you, you name it. And um, I think there's something um, that is lost in that. There's, there's again, we're, we're not grounded in, in our bodies, in our embodiment, partly because of this. All that to say, that's what I think makes a local church community even more important in our age. Because what we do when we gather here on Sundays or Fridays for Axios or, you know, Tuesdays or Wednesdays for Abide and Blessing or all the informal ways that we get together, um, we ground ourselves, we root ourselves in flesh and blood relationships, not digital relationships, right? I mean, when we come in here, it's beautiful. We come here at a certain time and place and we sit together and then we stand up with our bodies together and we sing together, and we read scripture together. Today, we're going to take and actually drink in juice and, br and take in bread together. It's an embodied experience. And when we get together throughout the week in all of our informal ways, um, we get to be face-to-face. -face. We sit across a table. We drink coffee. We eat food. And we don't respond to each other's posts. We have conversation about what we think about these things and where we disagree. And we walk away as friends. That's what the church community is supposed to be. All right, all that to say, all these cultural forces at work that would keep us rootless and uh, afloat uh, or at sea, if I could put it that way, and the local church community is one of the ways that we ground ourselves again. We root ourselves in something that's bigger than ourselves uh, and is the way that God, I think, intends us to be. Uh, I mentioned this, I think, last week. I I've been on staff here for 18 years now been a pastor for 18 years, and the longer I pastor, the more I realize that um, there is not a great need for churches 
to be super creative or like super relevant or, um, you know, kind of dynamic or um, avant-garde, kind of doing these new profound things. Because what people more and more now are needing, I think what, the hum- what human beings are needing is what the church has always been for 2,000 years, which is a body of actual people <laughs> meeting together, loving each other, worshiping together, committed to one another, um, spurring and encouraging each other. There's nothing, there's, it's not rocket science, and it's what is so desperately needed in our culture today. And that's what we want to be. We just want to be a group of people who are trying to love each other, follow Jesus together. And that's what we all need right now. So I want to re-invite you uh, to re-root yourself if, if, you, if you need to hear that word. And uh, I'll leave you with this. Um, I want to encourage you to come to church, and I want to encourage you to commit to the, the regular gatherings that you're a part of. And essentially, the commit would be this, just to decide in your mind that, hey, church is what we do. Like, if you're part of a family, if you're part of marriage, this is what we do. Um, it's not what we do um, when we want to. It's what we do. Uh, and it's not what we do because on any given Sunday, necessarily, church, going to church will be better than not, because sometimes, frankly, it won't be. But because we know that a lifetime of being rooted in deep covenant relationships is such a better life than a lifetime of loose networks. And so this is what we do. And on Father's Day, I want to encourage you men, if you're part of a family, that you would be the voice in your family saying, this is what we do. Uh, That you wouldn't force your wives to be that voice in your family. Say, no, this is what we do. Kids whine, I know, it's hard. It's what we do, you know. And then we do that in our own relationships with one another. So, so I want to encourage you in that. And then I just want to, I said this last week, but just encourage us in our individual relationships, so this is more important, that w- what would it look like to, to pursue these covenant relationships with each other? And for you, that might be, like I said last week, re- relationships that have been maybe estranged uh, over maybe this last year because of COVID or for all sorts of reasons. You might, there might be people that God is saying, no, I want you to Lean back into that relationship. I know it's hard. I know you want to move away, but this is the time to lean in. Or it might just be relationships that are fine, but you're like, I feel like there's another level of depth that, that we could have. Here's a good bud that I love to make more than just a good bud. Like, we could be spiritual friends together. We really are actually walking with Jesus together. So I want to invite you into this space again, uh, however you need to hear that. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful for this community, um, these friends who are um, truly beautiful people in the way that um, I personally have been so deeply encouraged by them and the way that we get to encourage one another. We're grateful for one another. I pray that you would give us a fresh uh, appreciation for one another, a fresh appreciation even for a local church and all of its <laughs> brokenness, all the history and all the, you know, the, the dysfunction, yet there's such beauty to be had here. And I pray particularly that your spirit would work in us, that you would prompt in us that which is pleasing to you, which undoubtedly is leaning into one another. It is loving one another. It's encouraging one another. It's spurring one another on. It's forgiving one another. It's making room for one another. So spirit, have your way in our church community this summer, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.